Welcome into the Gunburners podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law here with you tonight after a beatdown of the University of Tennessee. It didn't start that way, but it did finish that way. Um, as the uh, final score on the scoreboard reads, 52 to 24 and in favor of the University of Alabama. Alabama, 15th victory, 15th straight victory over Tennessee. Uh, Lester, just, just I'm, I'm going to start right there. I know that, you know, like, like I said last week, I know you didn't have the pleasure of uh, of growing up listening to the stories about how Tennessee used to dominate us and trying to get us on probation and Peyton Manning leading the band, all that stuff. But just what does this streak mean to you? When I tell you that Alabama has beaten the University of Tennessee 15 years in a row, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Um, I guess kind of sweet justice. Um, I probably know a little bit more about the couple stories that you think – because you can go back to, you know, Philip Fulmer and the, the infamous video of – or the infamous picture of them having all the microphones set around that phone speaker at SC Media Days and and we're going to put Alabama out of business and all that jazz. So, I don't know, kind of sweet justice. Um, there's no honor among snitches around here, at least in, at least in my circle. So, uh, yeah, screw those guys, you know talk shit, get hit, I guess. And that's what's been going on for 15 years. J-Law, same question. What, what, is the, what is the first first thought that comes to your mind once you hear that Alabama's beaten Tennessee for the 15th straight year? Light it up. Just get that cigar, enjoy it, have a sip of whiskey, finish your beer with it, do what you got to do. We are so spoiled that – we have a seven-point lead against Tennessee in the fourth quarter. We beat them by 28, and we're about, we're about to spend about 45 minutes nitpicking how bad Chris Owens is at right tackle after a 28-point victory. Enjoy that. You beat Tennessee, a program that tried to shut down your program, that tried to – I mean, they tried to get you the death penalty, and they were actually really freaking close. Alabama had to sacrifice 20 scholarships. That's a third of your team. Well, they're getting what they asked for, 15 in a row, and it probably ain't stopping next year because Bryce is back. Could it get to 20? Now, now if you're saving, yeah, your legacy at Jordan-Hare isn't great. You've won all these national title games. But how long can you beat Tennessee? He has a 15-win streak against Tennessee. He will have a 15-win streak against Arkansas. He has a 14-year win streak now against Mississippi State. Um, guys, it's going to be, I, you know, Saban said today that he's got 10 years left. Dude, it's going to be hard to quit when you have that, those win streaks against three teams that you play every single year. Yeah. You know, regarding the Tennessee streak with it being 15 in a row, as much as I was hate or as much as I was taught to hate Tennessee, um, I enjoy this streak more so just because my dad gets to go through it. Um, you know, he lived through, you know, double the amounts of ups and downs that, that I've been through um, regarding this rivalry. So, you know, to, to see the same excitement from him um, in year 15 of a, of a win streak, it, you know, it, it, the same excitement as he showed in 2007 when we got the first one, um, you know, that, that really means a lot to me. And, uh, and I'm glad that he gets to go through it because that, those are the, the older guys are the guys that taught us to hate Tennessee. And uh, I know you guys are out there listening to this. J-Law is one of them. You know, the, these old heads, not, not old heads, 
but the older heads that um that you know got to see the bitterness of this rivalry and actually live it um actually taught us and, and and taught us well for the most part and so that's the most exciting thing to me is i get to see you know, i get to enjoy it um with him because there's some people out there that, that don't get that that luxury um but you know alabama in in this game bryce young the first thing i want to talk about um before we get into the right tackle we'll go over all the issues um but first i want to stay as positive as i can or i want to stay positive for as long as i can with you guys because i know you guys are on the heart on the negatives, but the positives, Bryce Young's legs, um, a whole new not a whole new dynamic that, he, that he's added to his game. Um, he, he flashed it uh, at, at points, you know, throughout the year, but he really emphasized picking up yardage with his with his legs. And it was huge for Alabama. Um, so, so Lester, talk about what what Bryce is able to open up whenever he decides to use his legs. I mean, there's times where he ran early, maybe after a couple of seconds, if he got pressured. And then there's times where he sat in the pocket for six, seven, eight seconds, you know, receivers couldn't get separation. And then he decided to take off and run. Um, just talk about the, the, the new, I mean, talk about the new levels that he can go to as a quarterback and, and not just as a quarterback, but the new levels that this offense can go to when Bryce Young is using his legs like he did Saturday night. Yeah. He almost uses his legs out of, necessity because his right tackle is not very good. Um, but we're going to stay positive here. Yeah. But yeah, he, Took you he, five he, seconds. He, five he, seconds. He uses his legs out of necessity because, you know, when things are open on the field or we have someone bearing, bearing down on you, you have to get out of the pocket. You have to do something. You have to divide, come up with that secondary plan and escape plan and still find a way to do positive things for your offense. And and Bryce Bryce Young with his legs, he does that. And he does it very, very, very well. And, you know, he's not the biggest guy in the world. And you don't want to see him taking hits. But he's he and he he's very smart when he runs. He's not taking those massive hits. Um the ones that the massive hits that he are that he is taking they're having in the freaking pocket. But it's, it's, it's something on film more and more that defenses are going to have to account for. Um, if, if, if your secondary happens to, you know, shut down Jameson Williams, Mechie, Holden, whoever out there, Bryce can run. If, if, if your dominant defensive line can somehow get to Bryce, he can run. He can escape. And the thing that I like that he does is he still keeps his eyes downfield in that process. So when things break down, he can still find that guy or he can scramble for five, six, seven, eight. I mean, he can break off a 30-yarder. I'm confident that he can do it. He seems fast enough. But, you know, the more he continues to do that safely, the more it's going to open up things for the offense for sure. Yeah, and, you know, we're not asking him to run for for 100 yards a game. Um, This is something that, like you talk about, running out of necessity. I think it's a great way to put it because – um, you know, when your offensive line is struggling, whether it's the center, whether it's the right tackle, wherever the pressure is coming from, and, um, you know, defenses are, are they're showing more and more they're going to have to double Jamison Williams, um, which is leading to some success for John Mechie. I think he's a very good number two receiver. I'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but, J-Law, you talked about receivers not being able to get separation and whenever that's the case, that's also another factor where, where Bryce's legs can come into play. Um, so as long as he's 
like Lester said, as long as he's not taking the hit, as long as he's getting on the ground, um, I'd rather, I'd prefer to see him slide rather than dive. Cause that looks uncomfortable. You're rolling on your shoulder. I mean, he's, I, I don't know if he's fragile cause he hasn't been hurt yet. Knock on wood. Um, but he does have that, that smaller frame and uh, he just looks small. So, um, Tell me how you how you feel about him using his legs, and do you think this is something? Do you think he did? Do you think he did it the 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 right amount of times against Tennessee, or would you would you like to see it maybe a little bit more, a little bit less? How do you approach um, Bryce's feet in this new dynamic that he added Saturday? I thought he ran every time he had the opportunity to run, no more, no less, and uh, he made something happen. Four runs or touchdowns off. I mean. Yeah, four first downs or touchdowns off of running plays for Bryce Young. And I thought it was really impressive because, I mean, what's the defense doing? They don't have a plan for a spot. They're, you send three receivers out, they're bracketing all of them. They're bringing five, they're bringing four, covering everybody with seven. They're backed off. Nobody's really checking on Bryce. And he gets out of the pocket, thinks he can pick up six yards on the third and six. Man, more power to you. But I, I really just I, – I don't know if it was his legs. I know they needed his legs because the receivers don't get separation, which is a problem. But, man, I can't think of a throw in that game that Bryce missed. Now, he's missed one or two in almost every game this year, and it really hasn't hurt us. He didn't. He missed a few throws in the A&M game. Still should have won the game. That way, you know, Bryce, he didn't miss a throw in this. Give me a one that was low and outside to Jamison Williams on a third down when he was under pressure, I think, in the third quarter. Maybe it was late second quarter. Didn't complete it, but man, dude, the guy was on the money. I mean, he was on the money in this game, throwing off balance. The zone read or zone read fake and the pull on the RPO to deliver it to Mechie leaning. He was almost falling down when he threw that ball. It's on a rope. I mean, hits JMO, drops it, hits JMO again. He fumbles it. The, the one where he broke it off, the Trayshawn Holden kind of ad lib. I mean, that's the type of stuff Bryce Young gets you. And I'm not worried about him getting hurt when he runs. Kyler Murray's 5'6, 180 pounds. It's about how it's about making sure you don't take the big hit. I don't care if he slides, dives. I'd rather him slide, but just make sure you don't take the big hit. What do we always talk about Nick Marshall when he was at Auburn? It didn't matter, dude. It, he can run for 250 yards. He was never going to get hit hard. And if Bryce can make sure that he doesn't get hit hard on the runs, he'll be fine. And to Lester's point, when Bryce Young has been hit hard, it's been in the pocket. I mean, it's been trying to deliver a throw. Bryce Young's got way more chance right now of getting hurt from being a pocket passer than he does running the uh, football. So, man, I was impressed by Bryce. That was a Heisman-type performance. Put the team on his back. Offensive line was atrocious. He's, he comes up with 420 yards of offense, four touchdowns, and leads four consecutive touchdown drives to close the game. Do you ever think that Alabama would run over 90 plays in the game? Uh, not in <laughs> – what was that? Twenty? Not in 2013. Not after yeah. the 2012 season when mm-hmm. A&M did what they did. Saban was all mad about it, dude. But – if you're going to play this game, we're going to play it. And I've watched the game four times. I don't think Bill O'Brien made many bad play calls either, man. I really don't. And I think he was ticked off in the box because there's a lack of execution. His receivers weren't getting open. And Bill O'Brien can only do so much when set the center and the right tackle can't block anybody. I thought Bill O'Brien had a good game plan. It worked. If we're not executing, it doesn't matter. And I was texting Lester about that earlier today. Yeah, um, you know, you, you look at the box score and you're like, man, Bryce dropped eight or he threw the ball 43 times. That's, that's a lot of throw. But then you look at the at the rushing attempts and there's like 46 or 49 of those. And uh, and so, yeah, Alabama was just able to run play after play. And and I know they did hit some big plays in this game, but 
it kind of, you know, those long drives, those eight to 11 play drives that Alabama had in this game, Lester, were just just demeaning to, to Tennessee's defense. And, and, you know, we talked last week, when you got an offense that goes, you know, super fast, um, your defense is really going to hurt late in the game. And I think, you know, this is a prime example of that. I think that Tennessee's defense got gas because early in the game, Alabama was able to, to just drive the ball on them and, um, and not necessarily score at will, but, um, you know, just, just grind out drives and not necessarily getting three or four plays um, a snap, but, you know, they had 10, 11 play drives and it really wore down Tennessee's defense. And that's why they were able to score like four touchdowns or three touchdowns in the last nine minutes or whatever it was. But, um, you know, Lester, one thing I want to bring up is the receivers in, in this, not just this game, but for the whole year. Um, I, I mentioned to you guys, you, you know what? Yeah, it, it's, it's like I, what I mentioned to you guys was Mechie is a really good number two. And uh, I think that last year you saw him come around because the, every, all the attention was on Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle. Then, you know, even when Jalen got hurt, there was so much attention going to Devonta. He was just good enough to beat it. Um, double team, triple team, bracket, whatever you want to try to do to him, he could just run by it and Matt could hit him in stride. Um, but Mechie was really good against the number two corner last year or, you know, a star or a money guy, whatever you want to throw at him, or maybe a safety walk down, whatever the case is. And um, and I think early in the season, a lot of people were complaining about John Mechie, but now Jamison Williams has clearly taken over that number one spot um, in the receiver rotation. He is the main go-to guy, and then all of a sudden, here comes John Mechie, back-to-back 100-yard games or games. And uh, so, Lester, talk about Mechie and what he's been able to improve on these last couple of weeks. Like you said, going against someone else's number one, that's not – where Mechie can thrive at, and that's okay. You know, you hear all the time about great slot guys, great possession receivers, and they're there because they can get open against that number two guy. I don't think that's a skill set to be the number one. He's not the fastest guy on the field. He's not. He doesn't have the, the moves, the acceleration, the quickness, but he can dominate his guy on – the number or a, a number two corner. He can do that. One-on-one situations, you can trust him to do that. You can trust him to go up, get a ball, not turn it over, not fumble it, and be almost almost a security blanket. When the ball is going to him, you're not expecting anything flashy, but you're expecting him to do his job, which is catch the ball, you know, get to the sticks, do your job, do what you have to do. So in this role, I expect him to thrive now. Let Jameson Williams be the guy that the defense has to worry about, and Mechie can just slide right in there, quiet as a mouse, and silently dominate a game. The guy had 11 catches for 121 yards. I don't care who you're playing. That's great. That is awesome. And him in that role, stay there, buddy. I expect him to thrive in that role all year. He He's not – He's not a Smitty. He's not a, you know, a Walter. He's not an electric guy, but he is a sure-handed pass catcher. And, you know, that's still a great asset to this team. Uh, J-Law, speaking of 100-yard performances, Brian Robinson Jr., again, just doing his thing, man, going over a hundo, you know, didn't have too many 
huge runs. Um, you know, too many, too many inside runs still for my liking, but um, he was able to grind out over four yards carry, toted it 26 times again, um, over 100 yards to do. Just talk, talk about what how important this guy's been um, because, you know, when you win a national championship and you get this COVID eligibility year, uh, Alabama didn't have too many guys come back. I think Fedarian Mathis, uh, Chris Owens, Brian Robinson, those were the main three. And, you know, a lot of people were excited to see Jace McClellan, Trey Sanders, uh, you know, Keelan Robinson was still on the roster at the time. Kyle Edwards, Roydell Williams, Kamar Wheaton, who, who's still battling a, a, a nagging knee injury. Um, and, and so there were some people out there that weren't too happy that B-Rob came back because we had so many running backs and they're worried about him transferring, which, you know, two of them did. Um, but you see the importance that Brian Robinson is to this team and uh, how, how important has he been exactly? And, uh, and how important was it that he was, that he decided to, to take that COVID eligibility year? Well, I mean, he's, he's RB one and you're excited to have him. He's going to continue to have a hundred yard games. Didn't feel like he had 100 because I thought the interior blocking, uh, it, it just wasn't there. And he, he grinded these out. They had an eight-yard touchdown run, a 15-yard touchdown run. But, man, in between the 20s, dude, he was just, you know, three here, four there, break a 10, here's two, here's seven. I mean, it was he – didn't, he didn't have all the help in the world. This isn't like handing it off to Najee or some of the backs we've had in the past because the offensive line isn't where it needs to be. But, man, I'm telling you, Brian Robinson, without him right now, you're you're handing it off to Roy Dell and Trey Sanders. I mean, with Jace McQuellen going out, you're in trouble. Kamar Wheaton's banged up. So, I mean, he's been a good compliment to Bryce, a safety blanket in the passing game. Um, and, you know, I, I think that he's really reliable in the pass blocking scheme, which is something that you're not probably not going to get from Roy Dell, although Roy Dell did have two great pickup blocks in pass coverage. And we I think we converted some third downs. But, you know, um, to me, even going back to Mechie, like, yeah, he's not going to thrive as your wide receiver one. He's not that guy. He doesn't have the burners. But I was going to ask you guys, I mean, like, go back to last year versus this year. Mechie's your number two receiver. Jalen Waddle was out most of last year. You now have a clear wide receiver one. You have the exact same tight ends plus Cameron Law, too. Um, you just don't have Mac and um, Najee. You have Bryce. And B Rob, and if you're looking at Bryce right now, I mean, I know he's not the deep ball thrower that Mac Jones was, but other than the offensive line, like what's missing? I mean, why aren't the receivers getting open? I mean, John Metzi was open last year. Why isn't he open this year? It's it feels like to me that Bill O'Brien could take last year's playbook, open it, you know, it, 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 the play the pages glow because like this is the play I should call. This is the one on a third and seven from inside the twenty. This is how we scored with Slade Bolden last year. John Mitchell, let's just call this the exact same play. I was going to ask you guys, like, what is the key difference on the offensive side of the ball? I get it, there's different players uh, at skill positions, but it made it feel like last year, and even I'm watching Sark this year, I mean, the guys are just open. Like, what, what is it about this team where it's just not clicking at, at that rate that you think it should? I think it's a, it's a couple of things. I think you're, you know, you, you do have a different offensive line, so – Maybe the, you know, as good as – I think the run game's been good this year at times, um, but play calling in the run game uh, I think was a little bit better last year. I mean, Sarge's just a better play caller. And uh, and, and I think that you had – you know, I mean, Smitty's better than Jameson Williams. Um, I think for that offense last year with the big offensive line, 
Um, one of the best in college football history. I think Matt Jones was the perfect quarterback because he was a statue. He wasn't a guy that was going to run for, you know, he wasn't going to run six, seven, eight times a game. Um, and, you know, he was, he was sniper accurate from all levels of the field. And, and another thing is, is, you know, you, you hear the term, you got to cover 53 yards wide and 53 yards deep. Well, with Sark, you also had to cover like seven yards behind the line of scrimmage because he would just run Devonta in motion and just throw it to him out, out of the backfield. And if you're a man coverage, you just can't keep up with him. He's too fast. And those are those type of plays, as simple as they may sound, that's something that Alabama has not stressed enough this year, I believe. There's been times where we have had checkdowns where Bryce, you know, surveys downfield, and then after three or four seconds, he will throw it to the flat and get, you know, 20, 30 yards. He did that with uh, Roydell Williams in the t- on the first touchdown against Texas A&M on the first drive. Um, but there was a lot more called plays behind the line of scrimmage. And I think what that does is, first first of all, you've got to respect that because you cannot just give up an easy 10 yards on a play that's thrown seven yards behind the line of scrimmage. So you have to creep up a little bit. And uh, I think another issue maybe is that Bryce hasn't proven that he can just absolutely murder you throwing the ball downfield. When I say downfield, I'm talking about 25-plus yards in there. Um and, and I, like you said, I don't think he's bad at it. I think he's going to get better. I think he is getting better. But that was something that Matt could do, seems like, anytime he wanted. And, and the receiver never slowed down. It seemed like every single one, man. And uh, and that's something I think I think Bryce is really good at it. We just were used to seeing Matt Jones do it. And he was one of the best ever to do it, and um, <clears throat> especially at the University of Alabama. So I think those are two. I mean, I think Sark's just a better, better play caller all the way around. Um, I think when you have more protection, you can do you can do more creative things downfield in the route combos. I think that's a big a big difference from last year to this year. Um, you know, Bryce has got sometimes three seconds max to get a ball off, and so if you're trying to do any kind of deep rub, ten plus yards down the field, if you're trying to do any kind of scissor routes or you know whatever, it, it's routes that take time. Uh, you, you don't have the time to do it. And um, but I, I will say for this offense, when you when you compare Matt Jones to Bryce, Matt was perfect for last year's offense. I think Bryce is perfect for this year's offense because, you know, if you switch the two, I mean, I, I don't <clears throat> I don't know if Bryce's downfield passing would have been as effective last year. And uh, and Matt Jones would be a sitting duck this year behind this offensive line. And so I think you've got two perfect quarterbacks for the for the systems that they're running. I just think Sart was a better play caller all the way around. Yeah, I don't know. There's just is it? I don't know. I, I feel like they they just haven't jailed to look like how we are just accustomed to. The previously years teams have just been so dominant. The thing, the thing is, is that they made it look so effortless, so easy. So when 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 we were watching Bama slug out a driver, out of the not struggle, but when it just doesn't look that easy and that fun, I I I, I think it produces a, a jarring response from most fans. And that's probably why there's been a ton of criticism from Bama. Most of it is warranted, for sure. But 
I, I think they'll get there eventually. I hope so. They still have some issues to work out. But, you know, this bye week came at a good time. Let's get everybody rested up, you know, take the load off your feet for a little while, take a little break, and come back rejuvenated, ready to, you know, beat LSU, Arkansas, Auburn, and hopefully get ready for the playoff. J-Law, let me ask you, is it just me or is it maybe because all the attention, even the fans, was on six and eight last year after Jalen went down? Did we just not pay attention to Slade Bolden? Did How often did he play? It, it seemed like most of our passing sets were just, you know, motioning Najee out of the backfield and using him in the route combos, which was brilliant. You know, Billingsley played a big part last year. Is, is it just me or was just Slade just not a part of the offense at all? Well, he was, and that's what I was – that's kind of where I was getting at with my question is you, even when Slade – was he didn't play a lot last year. They used Billingsley a bunch, but he just wasn't at part. It seems like they've tried to make Slade a focal point of this offense, and when that just should not be the case. Yeah, you had Najee in the route tree every single time, but you feel like you have your same wide receiver two. Insert Jamison Williams at wide receiver one. You're able to grab one of these guys that you just recruited or Trayshawn Holden and put him in. And I think you're starting to see that. I think Slate as Holden snaps increase, Slate snaps decrease, especially if you think that you can rely on one of the tight ends. I mean, Billingsley, inexcusable drop, might have been a touchdown because I like Billingsley to at least make one move on the safety that's coming up to him and probably break that with Grohl for a touchdown. But I mean, to me, I, and, and, and to Lester's point, for the last three years prior to this year, dude, Alabama's offense, it wasn't – there was no grind it out. Dude, they were that freaking good. They would – if you were not exactly where you were supposed to be, we will take a slant 75 yards in one play on, on the opening kickoff. And there's nothing that you could do about it. To me, it's just like we're living in third and six. We're living in third and seven. We're having to grind out a 15-play drive because we're only getting two yards in the running game. Get second and eight. Here we go. Nobody's open. Let's dump it off. Slade Bolden runs for seven minutes, but picks up three yards. I mean, it's 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 tough to watch sometimes, and it is somewhat frustrating because you feel like you should have another three straight generational quarterbacks at the college level, from Tua to Mac to Bryce, and it just doesn't look as simple and easy as a lot of people thought it was going to be this year. The RPOs are there. They don't incorporate a lot of swing routes anymore. They don't try to – it doesn't feel like there's creativity to, to get the defense guessing. How many coverages are we going to bust before somebody busts the coverage against us? I mean, are, are they being that more, much more creative when they play Alabama that, and we're not? So, I mean, it's just kind of – you know, it used to be if you're not playing exactly where you're supposed to be on defense, we're going to burn you. And now it just doesn't seem like anybody's messing up against our defense. We're having to go 12, 13 plays for a touchdown. And I don't know, man, I think that's what frustrates Alabama fans the most because you have all this talent. You still have all this firepower. Jameson Williams is not like the number two receiver on Mel Kuyper's big board above both of the guys that were in front of him at Ohio State. And it just doesn't feel easy. It feels like we're working way too hard to, to score points. And they also don't have a killer instinct. They had a chance to end this game in the third quarter four times and didn't do it Saturday. Yeah, so I don't know. There's a lot going on. Uh, it's a little frustrating, but, you know, you get a 28-point win and you kind of forget about some of those. Yeah, it's also easy to – it, well, not easy. It, it's very difficult to compare last year's team, not just with this year's Alabama team, but with any team ever, unless you want to talk about 2019 LSU, 
Um, because, I mean, look at the difference in the offensive line. I mean, Landon Dickerson at center, Alex Leatherwood at left tackle, which means Evan Neal at right tackle. Um, you know, Deontay Brown at guard, a guy that, you know, I think, Jay, you said the other day, why did he go pro? Where is he at? What is he doing? Why didn't he come back? Um, he would have been a huge help. But, um, you know, also, I mean, you look at Najee. Najee's better than Brian Robinson. Um, Devonta Smith is – you know, Jameson's good, but he, he couldn't – he couldn't – I mean, he couldn't – he can't sniff Devonta Smith. Nobody could. He's, I think he's the best receiver ever to play college football. And, uh, you know, I'm not so sure what he's going to do in the pros, but, I mean, he had one, one of the most dominating seasons in college football history from the receiver spot. And, um, you know, yeah, the, the play calling. The play caller was a I, wizard. That's why he got a job at the University of Texas. You know yeah, what I mean? I guess my point was the other teams don't have Devontae Smith. Oklahoma doesn't have Devontae Smith. I don't know that playing the same caliber defenses that we have to face, but oh, no, that's because we're know. just idiots on the that, back end. Yeah, we're gonna get to that in a minute. Absolutely. Um yeah. Um and well, I guess, you know, I guess we've reached the the negative point of the podcast, which I'm okay with. Um yeah, it's you know, receivers. I, th- I think last year, whenever Jalen went down, uh Sart made it a point. You know, he said, I got a running back that's a mismatch. And I think Alabama has running backs that are mismatches. I think B-Rob does a good job. I think his hands have gotten softer over the years. Um, Rodell Williams, I think, could be a tremendous pass catcher. Um, so, you know, last year, I mean, you got Devonta with 117 snags. Uh, I think uh, Mechie was second with 55. And then third, Najee Harris had 43 catches from the running back slot. And a lot of those, you know, were in motion. You know, there was throwback screens. There was all kind of creativity. Um and just throwing the ball, we're just we're, like you said, we're just where the defense wasn't. And uh, and so, yeah, I think Bill O'Brien, he did okay Saturday, but I think there's a level there. And, Jayla, do, do you think it's more of the NFL concepts that he's trying to run, like I've talked about with the runs between the tackles? I mean, we are in shotgun every single play unless we go power eye, which is a terrible formation. I know everybody wants to run the damn ball, and that's the saying. But Robbie outs, he ends up on his ass every time. He's terrible. He's soft. He's weak. If you're going to go with a, with, an, with a power set, don't put Robbie outs in there. Put freaking Jamil Burrows, one of these 400-pound backup defensive tackles. Put in Tommy Brockemeyer. I mean, dudes that will blow somebody off the ball. Um, you might not know where you're going, but at least you can just put your head down and try to blow somebody off the ball. But um, I don't think that formation is really good. So – um, one of the questions I want to ask you, Lester, and I, and I was going to ask earlier, but I, want, I wanted to save it for the, uh, for the negative part of the podcast is, um, you know, you see what Jameson's doing and you see what Mechie's doing, but, you know, it seems like every game they're both going over 70, 75 yards, you know, hundred yards, whatever it is. And, um, but then if you look at the stats, there's a huge drop off in receiving yardage. And whenever Alabama plays a good defense, you know, I, I don't know if it's going to be Auburn over there. I don't know if their defense, they might get better. I don't know. But definitely Georgia. You can't just throw to two guys against a good defense. You've got to have other guys step up. Does it does it worry you that you're not getting shit from Jaleel Billingsley? You're not getting anything from Cameron Latu. You're not getting anything from Slade Bolden. You're getting a little bit from Chayshon Holden, but he's still not getting the snaps. Um, you're not getting anything from JoJo Earl. Is that is that worrisome to you? Yeah, because 
where where's Latu been the past couple of weeks? You know, he was the guy we were thinking, shit, screw nineteen. We're gonna throw the we're gonna throw the we're gonna throw to this guy if you're not gonna get your act together. And now, now that we have both of them, it seems like neither one of them is really producing. Um, I, I, I don't really know what the deal with that is, but those are two weapons that you were, you know, you thought that we can lean on, and they are not there. Billsley with that terrible drop. Um, Latu's just kind of been, and just where's he been? I mean, I know Bryce has to actually throw them the ball, but man, they've just not been there like we thought they should. And never mind, you know, the younger wide receivers not playing. I mean, you, you, Billingsley and Latu are people you thought you can count on. And so far, lately, they haven't been. So that's worrisome. You know, of course, everybody wants to see the older, I mean, the younger wide receivers play. Yada, yada, yada. But you're supposed to be leaning on your older guys like Latu and Billisley. And lately, they've just kind of not been there. Yeah, J-Law, you've got uh, Jameson with just over 700 yards. Mechie, um, just over 600. And then you've got three guys. Let's see, one, two, three. Yeah, you've got three guys sitting right around the 190 mark, but nobody else has even broken 200. So nobody else even has a third of John Mechie's receiving yards, which are second on the team. Um, you know, Alabama's got to find another option. Who's it going to be? Do, do, do you agree with it being Trayshawn? I mean, I think everybody's pretty much okay with that. I like to see, you know, a little bit of judge. Do, do you think going into the bye week, how much competition is there going to be at the receiver spot? Do you think that they're sold on Slade? I mean, I think y'all sent a snap count of, uh, of Slade over the last two games. And Trayshawn's, you know, he's creeping up. And so he's developing a little bit more. Do you think that he can overtake him in this bye week? Or do you think whenever we trot out against LSU next week that it's going to be 18 starting the game? Well, this is a huge problem, not having another legitimate threat. Billingsley's open. Um, he can't catch. I mean, like, you, dude, you got to get your head in the game, man. Like, Bryce on a perfect RPO pool, running wide open down the field, right down the seam. I mean, he hits you. In freaking stride could have been six, and so like you wonder about your guys. Like Bryce isn't going to throw the ball to guys that aren't reliable. Slade is reliable, but he's not going to get open. And I, I think there's multiple positions that you could potentially see a uh, at least a competition. They, they they opened up the right tackle spot for a competition after the A and M game. Chris Owens ended up holding on to it. I think that that's going to be reopened this week. But Trayshawn holding snaps has gone up. Slades have gone down. Some people have said that JoJo is a little banked up. That's why he didn't play as much. I think Chase, I think Chase actually may have told us that. But yeah, you need a, a wide receiver three. Somebody, somebody reliable that the defense has to pay attention to. I'm not talking about somebody that's going to catch the ball when you throw it to them. Dude, they all can catch the ball. You're going to have drops. It is what it is. But it's got to be a threat. Man, Chase sent us that gif and it had me rolling. The defense posted it on Twitter. Like Slade Bolden ran 9,000 yards the other night, and the defense never moved pre-snap. They just looked at him and said, okay. Slade Bolden, on a third and three, caught it two yards behind the line of scrimmage. The closest defender was 12 yards downfield. Go watch it for yourself. He gets beat to the first down marker. He gets beat, and if the pass was going forward when he catches it, he gets beat to the first down marker, has to dive to get the first down. That's not going to cut it. There's some other people on this team not cutting it. But if Bryce has another reliable threat, because I think Mitch is super reliable, 
I think Jamo is super reliable, although he had a couple boneheaded plays. There's nobody else that he can rely on right now. If you give him one more with the tight ends, dude, this offense, I think, I think it clicked a little bit in the fourth quarter, boys. I really do. I think it clicked. I think it could take off. Well, the pro- the problem is, is that yeah, we all saying he needs one more, but the thing is, he has three more. Why? What is going? I mean, they've got to, they've got to to nut up. I mean, that that's you know, law two got to stop dropping touchdowns. Billingsley, stop dropping you know p- perfect plays from your quarterback. Stop dropping perfect throws. Um, you know, it, it's like the team can't get out of their own way. I mean, Jameson, I told y'all against Mississippi State, the way he holds the, fo- the football, the way he runs with the football, I told y'all he's going to fumble, and he sure did, inside the 10-yard line against Tennessee. Um, you know, he's got to fix that. Uh, DBs aren't paying attention. You know, Latu's dropping touchdowns. Billingsley's dropping dropping passes. Uh, Slade sucks. Um, you know, he's got guys there. They're just not performing. So, either Saban's going to have to get in somebody's ass or they're going to have to go. We're going to have to find somebody else because, you know, you're not – and I know I'm looking far ahead, but, uh, you know, assuming that you went out and you go to the SEC championship, you don't have a prayer at beating Georgia with two main with two main guys in the route combos or, you know, two main reads. You're going to have to have a Treshawn Holden win some one-on-one battles. You've got to have Jaleel Billingsley win one-on-one battles. You've got to have Cameron Latu win one-on-one battles. If you do that, your whole offense opens up. I know we talk about Bill O'Brien's play calling, but at the same time, playmakers that we thought we had are playing like shit, and they are not making the plays that we know they're capable of making. And 19 is the biggest one probably. Um, You know, Holden hadn't gotten a lot of playing time, but what he's done with it has been fantastic, I believe, so he deserves more. He gives you a better threat than Slade Bolden. I don't understand what film they're watching um, I don't give a damn that Slade's older or whatever the case is. I don't, I don't care. Um, you know, same thing with right tackle. The, the big problem there, J-Law, is, you know, we, we listened to that Bama and Bourbon podcast with Aaron Suttles. He, he said, you know, the guy don't even know the playbook. Talking about J.C. Latham. And he said that talent-wise, he doesn't think that Chris Owens is the most talented right tackle we have. But as far as knowing what to do, He's the best we got. He heard that straight from Bill O'Brien in a Red Elephant Club meeting. And uh, so let's talk about that for a second. I know y'all are big on the right tackle spot. Lester, we'll start with you. Give me your synopsis there of, of Chris Owens. And, you know, what do we do if J.C. Latham doesn't know what the hell to do? And, uh, you know, it, it's not just blocking. You know, Bryce goes up there, says one word. It changes the entire play. He says another word. It might change the entire protection. Do I go right? Do I go left? You know, we expecting a stunt here. There's a lot of stuff to pick up on the offensive line. You got to be able to communicate with your quarterback, with your center. So if you can't do that, then and you're stuck with Chris Owens. Where do you go from here? You know, I don't see him getting any better, Lester. So, so what are the options for Alabama right tackle? Do you just throw the freshman in there and uh, and just get him killed if he screws up? If if that's the case, if the fact that he doesn't know what's going on and that's the reason why he's not playing, then – That's on him. Then shame on him. Yes. Wrong, offensive coordinator. Buddy, it is almost November. What do you mean you don't know what's going on? 
what has happened? But what was it? Wasn't he an early enrollee too, coming from IMG, right? Yeah, but and, and you know, all fall camp, he like he. I think he played all three scrimmages at right tackle. I believe Chris Owens was at center because I remember I told y'all week one against well, Miami. Hey, I don't remember hearing anything about Chris Owens at right tackle. They kind of just slid him out there. Um, looked like Latham had had, had had held down that right tackle spot all year, and we expected it to be you know Neil Cohen, Owens at center. Ikior at the right guard, and then Latham at right tackle. Yeah, I, it, it's confusing. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't buy the excuse that he doesn't know what's going on. That should not be the case. It should not be. How? I mean, Chris Owens just—he's not a center. He does. I mean, he's not a tackle. He doesn't have the body style to be a tackle. He's not that big, tall, and lanky. He's built like a refrigerator, like a square. He's an interior lineman. That's your center. I, I don't know. I'd just like to see it. Throw Latham out just, just to see it. I don't know who else gets booted out of that line, out of the starting lineup or whatever. It don't matter. But you can't have your quarterback, you know, Jesus, somebody in his face every single play. I don't understand – when when guys when the teams are blitzing us, why isn't the call right? You, the best the the legend best team in the country. Why aren't you prepared for these situations? I don't I don't get it. Why does J.C. Latham not know the playbook? If that's the case, why these are because the, if if that's what if that's the honest to god legit reason, these are the questions that need to be asked. And somebody needs to be fired behind it. If that's the truth. <laughs> Well, I mean, but how how com- how complex is what we're doing? Because we've had a freshman at right tackle every year for like a, a decade now. So, like, what are we doing now that is so hard that the top two tackles in last year's recruiting class can't figure it out and play over there? That's Latham and Brockermeyer. And what's the damn difference between Chris Owens knowing what to do but still not doing it, and J.C. Latham not knowing what to do but might actually be able to stop the guy in front of him? Because Chris Owens, boys. <laughs> He can't stop the guy in front of him if he knows what's happening. If you want to, you might, if you put Latham out there, you might be able to run right. That's, I mean, it to me, it's like, dude, what's the difference between him knowing what to do and still not being able to do it versus Latham might guess and get it right? And, and this offensive line, I told y'all, if he starts week one, he is ten times better and knows the playbook better than Chris Owens does right now. Well, that that's what I was going to ask is is the fact that. You've got a like, like you, like you've referred to him as a swinging gate, swinging gate over there at right tackle, and and you know referring back to that Bama and Bourbon podcast, Aaron Suttle said straight up, Chris Owens is going to get Bryce Young hurt. Um, so if you've got a guy that doesn't know the protections, he doesn't know how to slide. So what? Well, so I mean, just pick up whatever's in front of you. If you see somebody at the inside, that's your number one. And then if you if you see Ikior's got him, communicate with him. And then you've got somebody to the outside. How how hard can it be? And uh, I think it's just an excuse. I, I'm dead set on the fact that uh, that Saban just wanted to to put Chris Owens somewhere, and maybe he thought Dalcourt was a little bit better at center. Because I mean, Chris Owens, yeah, he played in the national championship game, but I remember J Law saying that he wasn't too impressed with Chris Owens against Notre Dame and Ohio State. I think he played better against Ohio State than he did Notre Dame. But I remember you saying that you weren't all that impressed with him. So maybe he's just not a good offensive lineman overall, you know, overall. And uh, he thought that Dalcourt could give us a little bit more at center. 
And uh, but he had to put Owen somewhere because he talked him into coming back for his whatever fifth or sixth year, whatever it is, with the COVID eligibility. And so he's got to put him somewhere. Now, if man, because he's a snotty nosed freshman like a Jai Hall and all this other jazz going on, that's a whole other issue. But I'm more willing to believe that than the guy doesn't know the playbook. Linemen just aren't like that, though. You don't see that. From hey, true, true, fair enough. But you know, we 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 just don't know. No, the Brocker might. But it's the thing. It's about both, though. You cannot tell me, guys, that Chris Owens through eight games this year would have been a better right tackle than J.C. Latham or Tommy Brockerman. I'm talking about dude, both listen. the dudes. Hey, you, you might not want to hear this, but and I'm not saying it's true. I'm just saying. What if you've got a bust on our hands? It's possible. Maybe two, that's why. Two, two, hey, before. hey, look, dude, there's a so reason. Maybe tackle. maybe there's a reason that Saban's gone out and gotten Tyler Booker from IMG, who's the number one overall offensive tackle in this year's recruiting class, and Elijah Pritchett, and he's going after the dude from that's committed to Kentucky that looks like, you know, Bryce's grandfather in, in that picture that, that's going around. The dude, You know, the dude that was on campus – uh, Kenyatta Jackson, whatever, I can't remember his name. But maybe there's a reason that Nick Saban is trying to get three more offensive tackles in this class. You never know. No, that's, that's a good point. That's a good point. I know we try to get at least two tackles every year, but the caliber of tackle that's committed to us right now yeah. is kind of like, oh, yeah. man, they, they think that there might be a little open. And Neil, Neil is gone. As of now, you're, both your tackles are gone. So you got to replace two. And so I, I see that, but, you know, Trying to get five of the top five in the last in the last in the last two classes. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe Ekior's also gone, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, well, dude, your list, yeah. both your tackles, Ekior. I mean, you're gonna have to. There, there's some of these guys. These tackles convert to guard for the next few years. I mean, God, we're gonna have some offensive line problems next year too. Dang it. Hey, Ekior, Ekior, um, got hurt in the like, third, fourth quarter of the Tennessee game. And Latham was his replacement at right guard. So maybe he's the first guy off the board at everywhere but center. So that's a possibility. It's another possibility. Maybe he's just not a tackle. You know, we don't we don't know the inside information that goes on and in, in coaches' meetings, film breakdowns, practice. You know, we don't get any of that stuff. The media gets like a 10, 15-minute viewing period, and that's it. So maybe there's something deeper here that, that we can't see. We're just going – based off of what some recruiting services had him ranked at as a high school senior. That's what we're going off of. Well, and the fact that he signed to Alabama. I mean, if we're going to take two tackles and we're not going to take any more, I'd like to take the best two, and that's what we thought we got. But you might be right. I mean, he might just be a guard, and he might just have to be plugged in. But, man, I'm telling you, just like I open up the competition, and why I say that you opened up the competition after the Texas A&M game, if you know, number one, Damian George isn't good enough to do it, and number two, J.C. Latham doesn't know it enough to do it. So what's the point of Yeah, and, and the, the next week you play Mississippi State and you win 49-9. to nine. Why is Latham not in on the fifth possession? You know, getting work, uh, in-game in competition, on-the-job training. There's right. nothing better. Well, the, the biggest problem was is that Alabama didn't blow the game open like they were supposed to. It was a 21 to 6 ball game at halftime. It's enough. That's fine with me. Fine. I mean, so what? You get you got a punt on a possession. You give up a third down sack. Get something for this guy to look at on film. But like, hey, look, this is what 
we called, this is what you did. This is what we got to work on. I mean, you, you can, you can't, you don't get the same reps from practice that you do in the game. Not saying that practice is not important because that's not correct. Practice is very important, but you know, most of the time you're do you're facing the defense that you see every day and you know, the guys tendencies, you know what they're going to do. There's no better training than, than in game training. And uh, you get this guy, and I don't care if it's 21, six, 14 to six, 14 to three. I, I don't care. Put his ass in there and get him reps. If there is a legit competition, get him reps. We'll move on. I get Lester. You, you got anything else in the right tackle positions? I'm finna move on from it. What you got? No, over with. I'm done. Still All right, on good. It. Moving on to the defensive side of the ball, defensive issues. Um, I told you before the podcast started, the inconsistency on defense is now being shown or has now reached the third level. Um, you know, I know there was some bus against Texas A&M. There's even more bus now, uh, you know, against Florida. It was a defensive line, not able to get off blocks against Texas A&M. Um, there were some blown coverages in the back end, but a lot of it was linebackers not fitting their gaps right versus the run. Um, against Tennessee, you've got multiple busted coverages. J-Law, where does Pete Golding have to go to find some consistency at all three levels of the defense? Yeah, listen, I don't know, man. I was listening to Mackie Cube earlier today, and he's saying that the A&M's offense, when Alabama played them or earlier this week, is running a bunch of stuff they hadn't run. I mean, they had wide receiver motion like 40 times in that game, where they only did it like seven or eight times in every game before that. So kind of spread Alabama out a little bit. Um, sorry, my dog's back there sneezing. Um, but yeah, but it's – is it just that three and two are so bad that they're almost unfixable? I mean, changeably bad. If you if if Demarco Helms ran off the field and then put on Daniel Wright's jersey, you would still. I mean, you would think it's Daniel Wright, but it's just Demarco Helms. I mean, like okay. what what can Pete Golding do if Josh Job's not looking at the play? What can he do if Malachi Moore, who has started as a sophomore almost twenty games in the Crimson and White? can't line up as in the in the proper leverage to make sure we don't give up an inside slant, I mean, an inside post from the 15-yard line. What can Pete Golding do inside of the game to make that not happen? I don't know. I don't know. Because yeah, his defensive line played lights out. They have 65 right. rush yards. Yeah, and his line, linebackers probably had the best. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and linebackers played great. Will Anderson's a freak. Uh, interior defensive line played really well. You know, back in, it's just – I don't know, man. I mean, against a fastball team, what the hell are you doing looking to the sidelines? Um, you know, we've run that play against teams before. And, uh, and you know, not necessarily this year, but we have done it in the past. That's something that's got to be in the back of your mind. What are you looking for? This team likes to run 100 plays a game. What are you looking at the sidelines for? You just get run right by. And, yeah, you know, I don't – maybe it's a – Combination of trying to get too cute and calling different coverages when you shouldn't. Um, I, I don't know, man. Uh, you know, no pass interferences in the game, but, you know, three or four busted coverages. And it's something Alabama has, has – uh, and, J-Lo, you're big on the, the four-quarter thing. They have not put together a four-quarter defensive performance. Yeah, you can say Miss State. Look, dude, Miss State was one-dimensional. Alabama played 80, 85% of their snaps with three down linemen. They knew they weren't going to run the ball. How hard really is it to defend when you have better athletes? 
offense. If you line up in the power aisle and you say, I'm going to run, run it 95% of the time, Alabama's going to be able to stop the run. If you line up and five wide and you say, I'm going to throw it 95% of the time, Alabama's going to be able to stop that. Um, and so I'm, I'm watching the Mississippi State game. But, you know, against Tennessee, um, you, you just – you can't play consistent at all three levels. And until you do, once again, it's just not championship level. And I know you keep hearing people say that, but it's the truth. You know, that's the standard at Alabama. And, um, you know, Lester – when you've got bus in the secondary, you talk, you know, J-Law's talking about Daniel Wright and Marco Helms. Brian Branch played some safety last year, put his ass back there and put Kool-Aid in the game. Looks ready to go to me. And once again, you get a 14-point lead, 21-point lead, put him in there. Put him in there whenever the other team's throwing. Make him have to adjust and, you know, get the call and know what he's doing. Give him some film to watch. Am I right? There's nothing better than on-the-job training. Nothing. Especially in sports. Especially in college football. Why isn't Kool-Aid playing? You can, you can have six DBs on the field at one time. You mean to tell me that you can't put Kool-Aid in there somewhere in some formation and some just a little. I'm not tell, I'm not saying start the guy or play him half the snaps, but you've got to incorporate these guys in. At some point, you never know. Something may click for him. Something may happen that you can build on. You know, you can sit on film. You can build on it in practice. And then you can translate it to the next game where you play more snaps. And maybe he's able to contribute a little bit more. All these things build on top of each other. And they can't build if you don't have a solid foundation. If you don't have something you can coach against in game experience, at practice the next week. If Kool-Aid gets in there and screws up, well, guess what? The guys have been playing for you for two, three, four years. They are screwing up just as bad. I promise you it won't hurt if some of the young guys get in there and go for it. Let them play late-game situations. Put them in there in the tough situation. Who cares? Because what you got now, it ain't working. And it should be working because those are the older guys. Those guys have been there, been mm-hmm. in the system. And they are screwing up, and that cannot happen. That will get your tail beat again. Yeah, it's it's a, a personnel thing that that's what's really confusing. Uh, whether it's right tackle, whether it's receiver, uh, defensive back, defensive line, whatever. I think Byron Young deserves eighty percent of the snaps in the defensive line. I'm tired of seeing DJ Dale. I like Tim Smith. I like forty seven. I like forty eight. I'd rotate those three. And if you absolutely have to have it, if they're just gassed. Um, then you can go DJ Dale. But uh, Byron Young deserves playing time. Um, Tim Smith deserves playing time. You know, right there behind Fedarian Mathis, DJ Dale has not done anything to warrant any playing time. Um, and then, uh, you know, the defensive backfield, I don't know if I said that earlier. But uh, lastly, J-Law, let's move on to special teams. Um, kicker's good. You know, kicker's good. Punter, not great. You know, James Burnett coming from Australia. You've got Jack Martin, the Troy transfer. Um, averaged almost 50 yards a punt last year. I'm not really sure why you don't give him a shot. Uh, and I know Alabama isn't punting a ton, but whenever they do, they just don't really get anything from it. And then, of course, you know, you get the punt blocked. And then defensively, for some reason, you got like a fourth and 20, and you send the block, and you go hit the kicker, give them an automatic first down. Uh, so special teams had their worst game of the year, um, probably outside of Texas A&M when they kicked it down the hash. 
and uh, gave up a, an actual touchdown off of it. They only gave up three points off the block punt. Defense saved their ass uh, on that one. But, j talk about the special teams that we've seen this year and what changes need to be made there. Special teams. The other coordinator that will not be here next year along with the other two coordinators. I think the Alabama's going to fight. The Alabama's going to have a do OC because Bill O'Brien's going to leave. Pete Golding's not getting the job done. I listen, Pete Golding's defense, we talked about this enough, maybe. 95% of the snaps they played were perfect. Dude, they gave up 180 yards on three pass plays. And they all ended up either being touchdowns or going for a touchdown a couple plays later. This special teams guy, I, I don't know who he is. I think we got him from a high school team. I really do. I think he's on texting. Like, I don't know who he is, what he's been, but he's dialing up the wrong call at the wrong time. His special teams unit is the reason why Alabama lost to Texas A&M. His special teams unit could have put us in a 21-21 ball game with 9.03 to go in the third quarter because his punter, rugby-style punts, directly into the rush. Dude. frustrating man uh you know it's it's not something that we're used to seeing it's something that uh that we're used to doing you know Alabama tends to block a lot of punts um for what it's worth but uh there's a time and place and uh when you don't do it is on fourth and 20 um when you got a chance to uh to to get good field position you just had a really good defensive possession then all of a sudden your defense, they're sitting over there by the fans or the heaters, whatever the case is, or they're getting stuff drawn up on the board. All of a sudden they look up at the Jumbotron. They got to go back on the field. You know, your adrenaline's not up. You don't have, you know, any motivation, I guess. And so it's, it's not easy. Um, and, uh, and, and so it's just stuff that you just can't have happen. The sloppiness, Lester, for, that we've seen from this Alabama team, um, the last seven weeks, because I think Miami was about as perfect as they as they played. I know Mississippi State was a really good game, but um, you know the sloppiness that Alabama's played with, especially after since the loss. You know, it's not something that you expect. So, Lester, I'm going to ask you this: I want you to give me, you know, whatever A plus, A minus, A B, you know, all the way down to F. You want to give it, um, which you probably will. But uh, give me an offensive and defensive grade. Since the loss at Texas A&M, so the Mississippi State game on the road where you won forty-nine to nine, and then in this game, you know where you beat Tennessee fifty-two to twenty-four at home, but you know you play sloppy. Just give me a grade for the offense and defense that you've seen since the loss at A&M. I'll give it a B plus um, for the offense. Yeah, I'll give the offense a B plus, right. and I'll give the defense. A B. Um, holding an SEC team to nine points, holding another one to 24 points, that's impressive, especially in this day and age. And for the offense to score, you know, 52 points against Tennessee and 49 against Ole Miss, I mean, against Miss State, I, I'll give them a B, a B, B plus because the numbers are there. Fair, the numbers are there. But I'm here to tell you, I don't care about the numbers. I don't care. They do not matter in these instances. When you're playing sloppy, when you're screwing up, when you are just not playing sound football, that is not to the album standard. And that is what 
We want. That's what we want. Play sound, fundamentally good football. No butts, no you know, special teams kicking the ball out of bounds. Do your job. Do what you're supposed to do. And if you get beat that way, fine. But you can't make those mistakes going into Ohio State, Oklahoma, Georgia, and expect to win. You can screw around and beat Tennessee, Miss State, you know, whatever. All you want, all regular season. But that's not the goal. The goal is to win a national championship. And making those little mistakes, that's not national championship behavior, which is why, you know, hearing those statements after – by saving after that game is a little worrying to me, but, you know, you got to put your faith in a little man to get the job done. Thank God for the little man. But, uh, yeah, you, you know, after the loss, I'm going to give the offense – I'm going to give them – I'm going to give them an A-. minus. I think against Tennessee, they kind of had a lull where, the, you know, there's a couple of drives in a row. They didn't get anything done. Bryce Young clearly frustrated. Saban goes over, calms him down. And uh, then he comes out and scores, like, four straight touchdowns or something like that. Um, you know, defense, I, I'll give it a, a – I, I like your grade, Lester. I like the B. And because, you know, I, you know a lot of people are going to say they gave up – you know, they did, didn't even give up a touchdown to Mississippi State on the road. And I get that. Like I said earlier, it's one-dimensional, man. Uh, it, you know, when you've got way better athletes, that's not hard to stop. And um, especially now that everybody's got the formula to stop it. Um, so I, you know, I think it's more the fact that on paper at the beginning of the year, we were talking about this team being 2016 level defense, you know, with their pass rush being elite. I know Chris Allen is gone. I know Drew Sanders hadn't played the last two weeks. You hope to get him back after the bye week. Um, and, and, but, you know, on paper secondary, you got Joe back who was locked down last year. Um, Jalen Armour Davis has played good, leads the team in interceptions. Uh, Jordan Battle was really good last year at safety. Um, DeMarco Helms started and played really well in the national championship game. I mean, the first first uh first play of the game, he took he took out Trey Sermon for Ohio State, popped that shoulder, and he was done. It was a big play. Um, he, he made he made a lot of big plays last year. You know, you add Henry T from Tennessee, you've got Christian Harris back, one of the best inside linebackers in the country. So I think on paper compared to what they are now and what we've seen, it's just been disappointment after disappointment. And uh, and I know that their numbers are there, like you said, Lester. They've got okay numbers. But this defense was supposed to be elite. It was supposed to be tough to score on this defense. I'm not saying they were expected to be what Georgia's defense is, but they were expected to be pretty close. And, uh, you know, all the college football experts were talking about the personnel that we had being some of the best in the country – and I think that's been a huge letdown. And uh, so I'll give the defense a B because, uh, you know, another fact is we're not misplaying run plays and giving up, you know, 15, 20-yard gains. You know, you, you semi can live with that as long as it happens sparingly. But it seems like all of our busts lead to touchdowns. And that's an issue. And if you do that against a good team like you did against Texas A&M, you lose the game. And, uh, you know, this offense is good, but the play caller has shown that, you know, maybe it's not the best to put it in their hands to go down there and win because they've had a chance to do that. And they got one yard and three plays. They failed miserably in that situation. So, 
defense has got to play better. They've got to step up and they got to show more consistency. They got to show consistency at all three levels. That's what I'm looking for the next three weeks before you go on the road and play in that hell hole over there in Auburn. J-Law, offensive, offensive and defensive grades since the Texas A&M loss. Offensive grades, so they played eight quarters. They played four really good quarters. They did. They played four great quarters. Second quarter against Tennessee, phenomenal. Fourth quarter against Tennessee, phenomenal from an offensive standpoint. Um you know, the rest of the game, the rest of those games, not not very good. So, you know, I'd I, I give them a right at a B-plus on offense. i go B-minus on defense. Yeah, the numbers are good. Let's just write, dude. They have great numbers. And you're right. This this defense was supposed to be elite. But you can't just give up bust for touchdowns, man. Like, you give up a bust, stop them on the 24th of field goal. That's one thing. But, man, it just can't lead to six. You go, go give up three bust touchdowns against Auburn. I watched it. It was it happened in 2019. We lost. I mean, those are the type of things that are going to happen if you're not in position and you, and you, you give up bust. And then it, it, another thing is that you're, it was about the consistency. It was the – we're great up front today. Linebacker plays phenomenal next day. But now we can't cover anybody. And it seems like even the the most basic of play callers – I'm not saying high pool is a is a, is a – basic play caller but dude it's happening to us against everybody i mean so i i don't know if it's a peak golding problem i think it is a peak golding problem quite honestly because this was supposed to be an elite defense and you got to coach them up to that standard and they have to be sound and if you are if one guy busts there should be another guy there to make a play so i go defense b minus and the offense borderline a i'll give them a b plus just because they've only played great since the loss 50 percent of the time My list is empty, boys. Is there anything y'all want to discuss heading into the bye week? Lester, are there any other changes that you want to see? Anything else you want to see talked about or talked about on this podcast? What you got? Uh, Pete getting the plays in. Simplify the defense, whatever we got to do. Um, happy birthday to Coach. Hope he has a great time at the lake house for his birthday. That's yeah, better and- be recruiting. Yeah, better be doing something. Um, I, get, I don't know. We'll, maybe we'll talk about it. Maybe we won't. But those comments he said after the game, he's just glad to enjoy the win. Uh, not really used to coach saying that after. But, you know, whatever. Whatever. And so, I mean, what, what is your biggest beef with it? I know it's something we're not used to hearing because I, I was shocked to hear it too. Um, but, you know, relating back to what Aaron Suttle said, man, you know, maybe he just understands – that that's the identity of this team. Maybe this team's a little bit softer. And when you've got a softer bunch of kids and you coach them hard, they quit. They don't, they don't react. They don't, they don't react the way Matt Jones does. And Alex Leatherwood and Landon Dickerson and Najee. They don't take that criticism the same way. They break down. They quit. Um, so maybe that's the case. Maybe you'd hate to see such. You a, do hate to see that. You, I'm not saying that I agree with it. I'm, I'm not it, saying it, that it doesn't suck, but maybe he understands that's the way it's got to be for now. Maybe not forever, yeah. but for now. But yeah, you'd hate to see that coming one team after another. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, you know, that's just, that's mm-hmm. a worrisome part. This isn't something that I mean, happened over the course of a couple of years. This is from last year to this year. His tone's like completely changed. But you got to think about all you lost, man. You lost so much talent. 
And you oh, lost yeah. so many players. You lost more than anybody else in the country. And not only that, everybody else got seniors back from last year. You know, five, six, seven, eight of them. I mean, I think Kentucky starts nine seniors on defense. Uh, right. Georgia starts like 10. I think they start like one, one sophomore, maybe. I mean, they could potentially lose 10 guys off of that defense. And you look at everybody's depth chart. I mean, Texas A&M. Eight starters on defense back, you know, whatever. And, and so it's every single team. I mean, you look at uh, – I remember week one, UCLA versus LSU. I think LSU had like 18 returning starters, and UCLA had all 22. And they had like 19 seniors. I mean, every team is senior heavy this year. And Alabama has a bunch of inexperience because there was no reason for their seniors to come back because they had accomplished all their goals. They won all these individual awards – they won the national championship. There's nothing else for them to prove in college. So they move on to the draft. Meanwhile, everybody else gets talked into coming back, whether it's draft purposes or whether it's playoff purposes. And um, that is a terrible situation for Alabama. And that's something that I don't think is being talked about enough. I've been talking about it since the summer. I said this is going to be a, a big factor in college football, and it's a huge disadvantage for Alabama. You're breaking in – you know, two or three new offensive linemen. You're breaking in new receivers, uh, a new quarterback, new running back, um, some new guys on defense, and um, and it is is not the best. It is it's the worst year to have inexperience. Facts. I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, we'll say more quick rushing some of these guys off, but. Those guys last year had to get paid. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Do y'all, do, y'all, do y'all think Saban left that game thinking, man, if we score one time in the third quarter, we break that team and it's like it's over. Like my defense outside of two really boneheaded plays, I mean, they played lights out, phenomenal. Do you think yeah. it's like if we just don't – do you think Saban sits there and thinks like, we, you know, if we just don't rush the punter right there and we get the ball to 50, we're going to score on back-to-back drives? And this is a 14-7 ball game, and we're about to just our offense is going to unload. I think that Saban knows that they are they are this close, man, to being like, all right, and maybe this ain't the right time to yell and scream after we beat a rival by 28. Yeah, and, they, we're this close. Mm-hmm. And he knows he's got a bye week coming up, and so he's got multiple practices. He's got probably four practices this week to fix it, and then five more next week. And um, and then I mean, you know, Jalen, like you're talking about five plays. So we just say they get we got 180 pass yards on three plays, and then you know, um, roughing the punter and then getting the punt blocked. Take away those five plays. If you execute five plays, I mean, Alabama ran over 90. What a Tennessee run, probably in the 60s, 70s. I, I don't I don't know off the top of my head. So you're talking about over 160, 170 plays, you mess up on five of them. They just happen to to hurt you you know, more than any other plays in the game. Uh, you know, two of them happened to be touchdowns, and um, two of them were build big uh, big field position um, momentum changers. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think he understands that. He understands, man, if I can just fix five measly plays, it's a different scenario. But, uh, um, guys, we appreciate you all listening. Um, we're going to go ahead and get out of here by week. I, we should be recording one next week, um, LSU week. Everybody's – um, hyped up for that one. We all know what happened the last time LSU trotted into Bryant Denny Stadium. Um, Coach O and his legendary speech probably going to lead off the show with that next week. Um, so I uh, apologize for the language in advance, but um, it, it's it's great to beat Tennessee 15 in a row. Nothing sucks 
like a big orange. Um, episode 48, Gunpointers Podcast, Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law, we're out.